Welcome back to Sashimi. In this episode, I interviewed Miguel Fernandez, the co-founder and CEO of CapChase, which is an alternative finance provider that enables SaaS companies to access their future contract payments upfront. Since inception in 2020, CapChase helped more than 3,000 companies to access non-dilutive funding. In this interview, we are discussing the story of CapChase, typical profile of clients, terms of financing they provide, and how investors view such financing. But first, let me tell you about the sponsor of this season of Sashimi, Seligo. Seligo is the leading enterprise-wide integration platform as a service for the mid-market companies. Named the G2 Best Software for 2021, Seligo enables breakaway growth, controlled cost management, and superior customer experiences by ensuring that every process at any level of the organization can be automated in the most optimal way. For more information, visit seligo.com or just click the link in the description. And now, back to my interview with Miguel Fernandez. Hey, hey, Miguel, thank you for being on the podcast. Yes, yeah. yeah, thank you for having me here. Hey, uh, let's start learning a little bit about you and then CapChase, of course. Like, how did you decide to start the company and what's your background? Yeah, I mean, I've been wanting to launch and build things since I was very little. I was fortunate enough to grow in a, in a household where my dad and my mom were both entrepreneurs. So I kind of like grew up having that hunger in me. And then I studied engineering. I love to see how things work and understand how things work. I did engineering in Madrid and in Munich in Germany. I'm originally from Spain, by the way. And then I worked in consulting for a couple of years to learn how to work, you know, and how to deliver under pressure. And then I decided that it was time to go into tech. So I joined a pre-revenue SaaS business as the first person in sales. And there I built and led sales and customer success and the international. And yeah, like we experimented a lot of things there, uh, growing the business, mostly on the finance side, right? Like there was always this conflict with customers on payment terms, right? Most of our customers wanted to pay monthly. We needed the cash up front. So that was like a, a tension that we didn't really know how to solve. We, in the end, we ended up solving through, through, through discounts, right? But then we would give discounts so people would pay up front. But discounts would hurt our lifetime value. They would hurt our top line revenue. That would impact our valuation. So yeah, it was it was a big pain that we really didn't know how to solve. Then I went to, I led the company and, and went to HBS to do my MBA. And my goal was to go to HBS to launch a business upon graduation. And, you know, after different ideas and different, you know, like customer discovery journeys, we, uh, my co-founder, who was also at HBS with me, we came up with the idea of CapChase in January 2020. And basically, the idea that we had there was targeting a pain that we felt before you know, in SaaS. And it was, how can we help you know, founders to get all the money up front from every deal, but still give customers the flexibility to pay monthly? So from that idea, we started you know, learning much more about all the other pains they had regarding finance. And we saw there, there were a lot of pains. And that's when we came up with the idea of, okay, let's build a platform to automate everything that touches a dollar for software businesses specifically. So, so yeah, that was the beginning of CapChase. And since then, you know, it's been like a, like a whirlwind, right? We, we raised our seed round in July, 2020. Then we dropped out of school in October. Then we raised our Series A in February, 2021. And then our Series B recently. So yeah, we're just growing like crazy and like working with more companies, launching new products, new geographies. Pretty cool. That's awesome. So tell us a little bit about what exactly is that you guys do? Yeah, so we, again, we're on this mission of automating everything that touches a dollar. That is five areas. So it's financing, revenue management, expense management, treasury management, and FinOps. So out of all those five areas, we had to start somewhere. So we decided to start in the area that was the most expensive to solve and the most painful to solve, and that was financing. Mm -hmm. So we started with a revenue financing product for software businesses with recurring revenues, you know? So then basically what they do is that 
instead of funding their growth with equity money or their own money, what they do is they bring forward the future revenues, the ARR, and then they use that money to grow. So then it becomes way less dilutive, is totally scalable as they grow. Mm -hmm. And yeah, what it means for founders is that they grow faster, more predictably, they keep more money in hand, they spend less equity money. So it's less dilutive, it's, it's, it's an amazing product. So basically, if I'm a SaaS company, right, and I have monthly contracts, that's where I can benefit, right, by converting my monthly contracts into annual. Is it fair? But not only. So that's a very obvious use case, yes. you know, where you convert your monthly payment customers into annual. But another use case is like, hey, every company by definition, every SaaS company by definition, like when they say 10 million ARR, like that's 10 million of annual recurring revenue. Mm -hmm. It means that during the next 12 months, they're going to get at least $10 million, right? If they're growing, yeah. it will be more, but at least $10 million. So then even if those payments are annual contracts, if an annual contract that you can predict is coming in six months from now, with captures, you can access it now, you know? So then you get the money now instead of six months from now. So you can invest the money today into growth. And then, you know, like you will increase your ARR in line and keep doing it all the time. Give me an example, like how much I can actually borrow with a SaaS company. And uh, let's just pick a company that makes like 3 million of ARR. Yeah, so short answer is between 15 to 70% of your ARR. And that range depends on a few, a few factors, right? It depends on how fast you're growing. So the faster you're growing, the more money you can access up front. Or what's your retention or what's your LTV to CAC and so on. But imagine that, let's say, 33%, right? So you can get a million dollars up front. Mm -hmm. Our product, what it does is that instead of just urging you to get a million dollars up front, what it does is it tries to, well, to present what is the best funding schedule. Right. So a company with three million ARR, if they got a million dollars up front, well, you're probably not going to use everything the first month. So the money is just going to be sitting in your bank account, costing you money. So the product says, okay, based on your spending patterns, you know, based on your investments in growth, it seems that the best way for you to take this money would be to take $120,000 the first month, for example, and then 150 the second month. And then as you grow, you can take more because the goal is that whatever dollars you take from Capchase, they get deployed immediately. Gotcha into growth. That's great. So they're not costing you money without being used. Yeah. Great. And how does the company repay it? Like, is it the term? Yeah. So it's usually aligned with customer payments. So, you know, on a monthly, quarterly basis. So basically whatever, let's say you gave me like $150,000, the first 150000 that company gets goes to you guys. From the cohort that signed up that month, mm -hmm. right? So imagine that you're signing up, yeah, 10 customers a month, you bring all the future value of those customers, you know? Mm -hmm. Then as those customers are paying, then, then, then we get paid back. Let's compare it to the, obviously, other types of financing that companies can get. How is it different from debt financing from, let's say, a bank where they can actually get a revolver, et cetera? Totally. Yeah. So there are basically three types of financing that software businesses can access, right? It's, you have, you know, as long as they are burning money, they really can't access banking loan, banks loan. Like once they're like EBITDA positive and stuff, yes. Until then, no. So let's see. We have the three types are VC money, venture debts, and alternative financing. Capsis is playing in the alternative financing space. So companies that can access venture capital money, that's not every software business. There's a lot of businesses that are bootstrapped, so don't have any VC money. So that business, sorry, that money is used, is best used for long-term investments and investments with uncertain returns. So investments, you know, like new products, 
new geographies, like buying a competitor, you know, you don't really know how it's going to turn out. You're hoping for the best. If it works, it works really well and you get asymmetric returns. If it doesn't work well, you don't have to give the money. Then venture debt is a little bit of a hybrid because it behaves pretty much like equity. So it's like longer term, you know, like two, four years, you know, it is diluted. They take warrants and it's pretty expensive because it has like a sticker price. And then it has a bunch of legal fees and opening fees and, you know, like closing fees and use fees and a bunch of stuff, right? So it ends up becoming quite expensive, but it serves a very similar purpose to venture capital money because it's also longer term and it's a bit cheaper than venture capital, but you have to return it, right? And then the last one, alternative financing is the most efficient, you know, in terms of pricing and you can, it's really programmatic, like very, very data-driven, but you need to return it. So the thing is that it is best suited for activities in which you know the return, right? In which you can really predict the return and that return obviously like needs to be higher than the cost of capital. So for example, that's what captures place. That's the way we are in you know, the latest in the space. So basically it means that if, you know, you know that if you invest $1 in growth, you're going to turn that into, let's say $1.5 of ARR two months from now, that's predictable, right? So you shouldn't be spending VC money there because it becomes very expensive, you know, to grow that way. So you can use capture, which is very cheap. And then if you, as long as you're going to invest something that's cheap into something predictable that gives you a higher return than the cost, then you can do that forever, right? And you can scale very efficiently. So when, oh, what's the typical profile of your borrowers? Software businesses, so SaaS businesses, you know, growing more than 10, 15% year over year. We have our average company grows 100% year over year, but, you know, we can work with companies that grow a little bit less or a little bit more, you know. And then in revenue, starting at $100,000 of ARR, all the way up to a couple hundred million. 100,000 ARR, not MRR. ARR. Oh, yeah. so you're very, in the very early stage. That's fantastic. Yeah. We can go very early, you know, with like, of course, little amounts. And then as they grow, then, then we can go further. Like we start, I remember one of the companies or the most recent companies that I was in touch with is an incredible story because we started working with them when they had $80,000 of ARR. So really tiny. And then they went from 80 to like 10 million in 10 months. So it was an amazing story. Yeah, yeah that's great. Great. Yeah. And do they have to have some history of operating for a certain period of time or the basic yeah good around six months yeah because we just need to have enough data to, to learn from it yeah that was my concern how do you do due diligence yeah so we need to understand you know, the predictability of, of the company so for that we connect in real time with the banking accounting and revenue data right so we go to a bank to their quickbooks or netsuite or whatever so where they have for accounting and then to the revenue data which can be in the form of credit card data processing and or just recurring billing systems. And with that, what we do is we crunch it all together. We reconstruct the company bottoms up and then yeah, we make a decision on what, how much money the company can get, what percentage of the ARR and at what price. And all that is like consolidated into a cap score that we call it, which is like almost like a credit score for SaaS businesses. Mm -hmm. So you're not relying on the statements that they provide you. You actually monitor what exactly they get, right? Yeah. Got it. Yeah. What's the pricing for that from for the borrower? Like how much do they pay on average? It can be really low. It can go up to like sorry, that it can go down to something like four or five percent, all the way up to like ten or eleven percent, depending on the company and the growth rates and geography and so We're on. talking about annual. Yep. God, I mean that sounds sounds great. And is it like a, any covenants 
No, it, it is purely backed by, by data, by the solid data analysis. And with most companies, we start with like maybe like a little bit smaller or a little bit shorter, you know, so we start to see the reaction of the company when they have more money, you know, and money they have to return. And then we go up from there. What happens if for some reason this company goes under? Well, that can happen, right? Of course, it happens. You know, we're in the business of risk, right? So you just have to manage risk. If it goes under, like, there's a few things, right? Like some companies just like go belly up directly and then it's just like, they just can't do anything, right? So, so we are just in line, you know, try to see if, if there's anything, you know, any anything that you can get from, from the company in bankruptcy. Usually the founders just are like, okay, we couldn't make it work, we're out. And then, you know, either the company gets sold or gets, you know, acquired, like the IP gets acquired by somebody, you know, so if there's something there, like, great. If not, it doesn't matter. Like, it's part of the business. And then some at times the companies just linger, you know, like they're not making money, but they're also not losing money. You know, so then in those cases, we smooth out the repayments so that it's easier for them. So you have enough time to collect uh, yeah. money from the from their clients, right? Exactly. You ever had the situation when you didn't have enough time or they just went belly up and that's it, that's gone? Oh, yeah, it happens, of course. It doesn't, I mean, we pay a lot of attention to our great underwriting and to our data. So, yeah, like it happens really rarely, but it happens sometimes, yeah. And the companies that you guys lend to, I believe they are not just US-based, right? They can be located in other countries? Yeah, we are live in 10 countries, US, Canada, and then UK and the European Union. And yeah, for now, we're going to focus on those countries, you know, like they have the highest concentration of SaaS businesses, and then, you know, you can go elsewhere. But is it fair to say that most of your clients are in the US now and others just yep. learning? How's the perception of this business in uh, United States versus Europe? Well, founders love it. It really changes their lives, right? Like they go from spending a ton of time and energy fundraising to really just like, you know, focusing on the business of building and selling. So they love it. In, in Europe, I would say that there's even less options and VC money is even more expensive. So then it is growing like crazy, same as in the US. But in, in, I say it's like Europe has always been like a little bit behind the US in innovation. Mm -hmm. You know, and what we did is we launched in the US and the following year we went to Europe. So then that was like an innovation that we brought over really, really quickly. So it has been adopted massively. Revenue-based financing is not like a new concept or, or anything. It's been around for some time. It might not be as focused on SaaS as you guys are, but who else do you guys compete with? So revenue-based financing has been around for like 25 years, I think. First in the form of merchant cash advances, you know, where businesses would fund like a lending business would fund let's say a pizzeria and then they would get paid on on a, a portion of the daily revenues right so that's how they would get paid and then there were some specialized players i mean now there's some specialized specialized players in restaurants like square for example or or stripe now right like they're, they're offering paypal they're offering loans to small businesses toast to restaurants and doordash to restaurants as well and then there are some e-commerce players wayflyer and so on right so we are the, the specialist in SaaS. There are some companies that are trying to do everything, you know, like e-commerce and SaaS and HVAC maintenance and a bunch of other things. But yeah, like we decided to just focus on SaaS and we are the only ones like, we just focus on the same vertical. So you just focus on one niche. That's what kind of differentiates you from the others. Mm -hmm. Right. Got it. So you obviously raised a bunch of money. I was like, there are two different sources that I've seen, but both are quite impressive. Yeah. When you lend money, do you lend your the money you raised or there is another party such as maybe funds that buy this loan from you? So when we, I mean, part of that money that you that you see that we've raised is 
it's not equity money. It's it's debt money, right? Like so we raise credit facilities mm -hmm. so that you know we can offer better terms, you know, more flexible to our customers. So when we work with the company, you know, the company is only working with captives, but then what we do with captives is we ask, you know, to several credit facilities for that amount of money so that we can grow sustainably. And we that money comes from hedge funds, credit funds, asset managers, banks, etc. Got it. And obviously they have some sort of return. And do if they're interested, do they just reach out to you or you typically reach out to them? How do you find those people? Yeah, so there's a ton of demand for this type of asset because in reality it behaves pretty much like a bond, right? Like you, you get monthly repayments, you know, the principal goes down. It's just super exciting for them. So there's a lot of demand. We just have a lot of relationships with, with those companies because like, as we grow in size, we, we start adding more credit facilities to the mix. So yeah, some they become some, you know, like we reach out to some come recommended by investors. When you think of your clients, what's like typical profile? Is it something very early on or it's something, I don't know, maybe five, 10 million in ARR? What do you have typically? Yeah, I mean, the sweet spot is between two to like 20 million ARR, but the range is way wider. We start usually at like $100,000 of ARR. So you can be relatively early stage. You only need to have like six months at least of revenue generating history that we can learn from. And then the limit is at like $200 million of ARR for now, for now. It's just growing and growing. Do you have clients that are backed by VCs? And if Oh, yeah. And what's VCs take on it? Are they liking this type of financing or are they a little suspicious? VCs love it because, you know, I mean, I would say around half of the companies are VC backed at least. Yeah. So VCs love it because for them, once they are invested in a company, they're just as vulnerable to the illusion as the founders themselves, mm -hmm. right? So VCs just needs to put more money and more money in the same companies to keep their stake. So this for them means that they can go for much further without having to pour money, you know, into the same company and get diluted. So once they're in the company, they love it. What about the other lenders? Let's say there is a bank in a transaction. Who do you, yeah. like, I'm, I'm sure that, I mean, because it's part of their collateral. Like, do you have tough negotiation with those guys? Well, we are really flexible and we are usually still at the bottom of the stack. So, I mean, we just need to rely on our data and our analysis. So sometimes you work with other banks or other credit providers. We have, you know, agreements in place and so on. So some of them love us and they keep bringing us into deals. And some are like, they just, by definition, they don't work with anybody else and that's it. But when you look at the seniority of repayment, are you guys ahead of banks or other lenders? No, no, no. We, we are usually at the bottom, right? Like we, we are unsecured. Mm -hmm. So that, that's why VC love us, you know, and other care providers are okay with it. So yeah, we're doing it everybody. I'm curious, how was it this first client that you guys booked? Like, how did you convince them? Like, what did you tell them? Well, we, we just told them like, guys, like, if you were to use CapChase, you know, and we show them with the data, if you were to use CapChase every month, you know, you would get instant payback on all your new customers. And that's something that was really important for them because the payback was around seven months. So then the faster they grew, the less runway they had, you know? So with CapChase, the faster they grew, the more money they had actually. And the more runway they had. So they were really excited about that. So they saw the data, they started little by little, but then it was, it was great. How big is your team now? 130 people. Oh, wow. And, and they located all over the world? or? So we have around VHQs in New York. There's around 40 people here. And then there's another like 60 people in, 60, 65 people in, in Europe. And then the rest are in other parts of the US. 
And so you guys just raised Series B, so you, you mentioned. What do you guys plan to use it for? Yeah. Is it for, obviously, growth? growth. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. But growth, growth like... Growth, new products. Through what? Like you putting together new products and... Yeah, exactly. New products, new use cases, new geographies. And then, like, we need to support also all those creative facilities. So, like, the creative facilities are like, hey, guys, like, you cannot have billions of dollars in, in exposure and then, like, one million dollars in the balance sheet right so we need to also be solid got it. and what's your long-term vision for the company miguel yeah well we want to build this platform to automate everything that touches a dollar right so that's like what we want to do we envision a, a future in which capital is a platform and companies that have horizontal plays you know like credit card companies and accounting companies and so on like build on top of capsules verticalized solution for software businesses that's what we envision yeah that's great Miguel, well, thanks very much for being on the podcast and I, I really appreciate it and I wish you the best of luck. Of course, that's not right. Thank you so much. It's great to be here.